Please take out your Bibles tonight and be turning to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. No, I don't have that on yet. It's on now. Deuteronomy chapter 10. This morning, we began a little two-part mini-series entitled, Not My Will, But God's Will Be Done. And obviously that is taken from Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, again, as we talked about at length this morning. That line, that sentiment, that truth, that thought, not my will, but God's will be done, to me is very reminiscent of the requirements that God gave his Old Testament people through his servant Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 10 where it says in verses 12 through 14, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Echoes what is said in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We know, of course, that Jesus Christ would repeat this. He would restate it later as the greatest commandment of all in places like Mark 12, and I would ask you to turn there in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, beginning at verse 28, we read the following. Love to hear those Bibles turn. That's a problem with electronic Bibles, you can't hear them turn. Mark chapter 12, beginning verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said this. He said, there is no other commandment greater than these. And I emphasize that word all as we go through those four because to me that's one of the most important words in that text, all your heart, not just part of it, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So verse 32, the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings sacrifices. Jesus said that the most important thing 
is to love the Lord your God with all of these things and certainly that includes with all of your time with all of your effort with all of your energy with all of your resources with all of your conversations with all of your obligations so does this mean that we are to love and be completely committed to God's will yes remember this morning how we defined that word God's will what God wants or has determined shall be done his commands his precepts his choice his desire and his pleasure we are to put God's will ahead of those things that we may be fond of or enjoy the pleasures of this world as, as it is referred to in scripture that is what Jesus was talking about this morning just as we talked about at such great length when he said not my will but thine be done please notice that in that particular passage that we talked about this morning that was going to cost Jesus everything sometimes loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength is going to cost you it's going to cost you friends it's going to cost you a lot of different things but as we said this morning what Jesus was actually saying and praying if we interject the Greek meanings of the terms he used what he was saying in Gethsemane was oh my father if it's possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless it's not about what I will or what I want or what I intend or what I have in mind it's not about what I desire I wish or I want it's not about what I would like to do what I'd be more fond of doing what I would take more delight in doing or would experience more personal pleasure in doing that's what that word means that Jesus used when he said not my will but he said God father it is about instead what you wish what you desire what you have determined it's about your commandments and my commitment to your commandments no matter the cost the consequences the loss or the pain for that is what it means to love the Lord with our entire heart soul mind and strength he comes first it means committed to his will now as we continue tonight along this theme have you ever stopped to think about perhaps some of those people in the scripture that may have paid that sentiment if not that exact <coughs> sentence but certainly that sentiment some sort of lip service some sort of loyalty but never truly honored that type of commitment where God's will comes first no matter what the Bible is full of people who did that when Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah in Matthew 15 7 through 9 Jesus said these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me and in vain do they worship me teaching his commandments the doctrines of men when Jesus said that and he quoted Isaiah Jesus wasn't talking about specifically in that context the denominational world that would come into being centuries later now it certainly applies yes absolutely but that isn't who he was discussing those denominations didn't exist then so who was Jesus talking about in Matthew 15 7 through 9 when he said they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He was talking about 
some of God's own people. He was talking about some of those who claimed to be God's people, who were God's people. So was Isaiah when he originally spoke that. Jesus was talking about God's people that, that paid some sort of lip service to doing his will, but instead were really doing what they wanted. Think of the people in the Bible that did that. Let's start right out with Cain and Abel. We know that Abel gave God what God asked for, but Cain didn't. Somehow he thought that would be okay. It wasn't okay, and we know the story there. What about Nadab and Abihu? We often just think of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, where they offered the unauthorized fire, but if you've ever studied their lives, remember who they were. Who were Nadab and Abihu? They were Aaron's sons. Moses was their uncle. These were Moses' nephews, Nadab and Abihu. And so they were part of God's people, and they knew what God wanted, but they just figured it was okay if they got fire from some source that God had not authorized. They thought it was okay to drag into worship for whatever reason, to drag into to God's worship this unauthorized fire, that which God had not commanded them to bring. And so we can see that as God's people, there must have been some sentiment of, yes, I want to do God's will, but on the other hand, they weren't. And they justified, however they justified it, they did their own will instead. One of the biggest ones I think of, who must have certainly paid some sentiment to wanting to do things God's way, but instead chose not to, for his own reasons, was King Saul. Please turn to me in your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You'll remember the story of King Saul. God had told him to go and destroy all of the Amalekites. This was God's word. This was what God wanted him to do. Remember what he said when Samuel came to him? We'd pick up reading here in 1 Samuel 15, starting at verse 7. Remember, God has told him, destroy them all, everything. 1 Samuel 15, verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they were unwilling. Notice it's not that they didn't know. It doesn't say they didn't know what they were supposed to do. It says they were unwilling to do what God told them to. They were unwilling to put God's will first. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless. That they utterly destroyed. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret. Brethren, I don't ever want to think of God as saying about Doug Dingley, I greatly regret that I made him a Christian. I greatly regret that I saved his soul. I greatly regret that he's a preacher. I don't want God to ever have those sentiments. But here, God said, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. Why, God? For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. What did Jesus say is the litmus test for loving him? 
We can claim love him all day long. What did he say is the litmus test? If you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. Love me enough to trust me. That's all God's ever wanted. Was, was people that would love him enough to trust him. That's what he wanted here. Saul apparently didn't love him enough to trust him. He's turned back from following me, not performed my commandments. It grieved Samuel. And Samuel cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he has set up a monument for himself. He's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel, at this point, went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. I did just what God told me to. Samuel said, Hello. That's not right, but Samuel says, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen I hear? Samuel said, I, I did just what you told me to. I took care of it. Remember, God told him to destroy everything. Samuel said, Wait a minute. When, <laughs> what's this sound? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Notice the Lord your God. <coughs> and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Just hush. He goes on from there and he says to, Sam, he says to Saul, he says, look, God told you to down and destroy everything. You didn't do it. You didn't do God's will. God told you very specifically what he wanted you to do and you just didn't do it. As we go on and look a little further down in verses 22 and 3, Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? This is the question that we, we need to answer. The one thing that God would prefer above everything else from us is that we love him enough to just trust him and do what he said. It's that simple. It, it's no more complicated than that. And all the burnt offerings and all this other stuff, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. It's all his anyway. He can take it any time he wants. That's not the point. The point is, when we're given a choice and we are creatures of choice, will we do God's will? Will we back up? Not my will, but thine be done. Samuel says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, to listen to God, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. When we stubbornly do what we want because we are unwilling to do what God wants, we're not saying to God, thy will be done. And if we are, we need to stop because that ain't the way we're living. He says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king. When we look at that story, we need to stop and think about what we offer to God today and how we worship God in particular. Congregational worship and how we perform it today is simply a reflection of the individual's attitudes in the worship. Corporate worship is a reflection of the people's attitudes in that congregation towards the authority and the sovereignty of God. Does that make sense? If we as a church, if we as individuals respect the sovereignty and the authority of God the way we want, 
then we're simply going to do God's will when it comes to everything, yes, but worship as well, or worship in particular. And I'm going somewhere with this, honest. <laughs> Almighty God has revealed in his will, in his word, down to the most minute detail, his preferences when it comes to worship. God's made it very clear. God's not left us to guess. God's told us exactly what he wants. For example, well, before I get to the example, let me say this. You know, if you and I were capable, we're not, but if we were capable of dying and shedding our blood for people to purchase a church of our own, and we were setting up all the rules, maybe you and I would set things up a little different than God did. Maybe there's things we'd prefer to have. But you know what? We're not God. God's the one who did that. God's the only one who could do that. And so he set up the church the way he wanted it. And so if we're going to say, your will be done, and we need to say that in love toward God, then we need to do things the way God said, even though it might not be the way we prefer if we were setting it up. You remember our discussion this morning from Ephesians 5? Please turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. Our discussion was about the word philema, will, the will of God, the commandments and precepts of God and... One of those passages that we find that word in, as we read this morning, we're going to read again tonight and expand on it a little more. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the thelema, the will of the Lord is. Understand what God's will is. Understand it, and, and don't be foolish. But use the time that you have to understand God's will and to carry out God's will. Now, although he goes on in chapters 5 and 6 and talks about a lot of different aspects of God's will, one of the things that he says is that we are to, verse 19, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We said this morning that it did not matter if all of these people in the Ephesian congregation, even if all of them, had come out of some religion where they had used instruments, if they were all experts, in instrumental music, if they all were, were Tchaikovsky's of the first century. Didn't matter. Why didn't it matter? Because that's not what God asked for. It's not God's will. This is for all the congregations of the Lord's Church throughout time. I want to come back to this in a minute, but I want you to recall that in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, what most people refer to as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, in that prayer, expressed that when the kingdom came, it would be a place where God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You remember that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom, the church, is a place where God's will is the only thing that matters. It's not about yours and my preferences. It's not about pleasing people. And, and where I'm going with this, in today's society, Everything is about pleasing people to the extent that it doesn't matter what God said anymore. If it's popular with somebody, we're going to do it. That's how the religious world thinks. And brethren, 
We as members of the Lord's kingdom, we need to understand the church is not about us. Now, I know that most of y'all understand that. I can say y'all. I've been in Oklahoma for almost 10 years. I understand that, that you all get that. But when we're talking to people, what we need for them to understand is the church is about God. He bought it. He paid for it. He gets to make the rules. He gets to set the standard. It's not about what you and I want, separate and apart from God. It's all about God's will be done. That's what the kingdom's all about. In Colossians chapter 2, and again, we'll come back to Ephesians, but in Colossians 2, I want to show you something. This idea of self-imposed religion out of Colossians 2.23, if you look in Colossians 2.23, well, let me just read it from 18 to 23. Let me do that. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me just read Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 18 and running through 23. 23 is the one I want, but let's read this. Paul writes the Church of Christ congregation in first century Colossae. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom, the all, all, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Put that in simple terms. The church, we're going to cheat ourselves if we let people who've been puffed up by their fleshly mind tell us what the church is all about or what the church ought to be. Instead, we need to hang on to the head, Christ. We need to let him determine all things in the church. Therefore, verse 20, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of that world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations like do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men? These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in, watch this, self-imposed religion. Self-imposed religion. What that term means, according to Vines, self-imposed religion, some versions will say will worship. Will worship. What I want, you know, because I'm just that good. Being sarcastic. Will worship. Self-imposed religion means doing what I want instead of what God wants. And what that word means according to Vines is voluntarily adopted worship, whether unbidden or forbidden. Nadab and Abihu offering that strange fire, that was unbidden. God hadn't forbidden it from that source. It was just unbidden because that's not what God asked for. Thayer described this transgression known as self-imposed religion as follows. Worship which one devises and practices for himself contrary to the contents and nature of the faith which ought to be directed to Christ. In short, will worship is a worship where one substitutes his own preference for that which is preferred, authorized, and specifically specified by the Lord. That's what will worship is. Now, sometimes, folks in an effort to, just, to justify all sorts of things will say, 
particularly when it comes to instrumental music in the church. Well, you know, that's my talent. I, I've got a talent. So why wouldn't God want me to use it? We've all probably got some form of music we don't like. Is that true? Some of you, I'm not picking on anybody, really I'm not, but I don't know your preferences, so I'm going in blind here, okay? Some people cannot stand opera music. Some people cannot stand classical music. Some people cannot stand rap. You understand where I'm going with this, right? Some people do not like bagpipes. Some people don't like country music. Listen carefully. If there's a form of music that you just don't like, does it really matter how good the person is performing it? No, you still don't like it. You can take the best bagpiper, the best rapper, the best country artist, the best opera singer that there ever was, and if you don't like that type of music, it don't matter how talented they are, you ain't gonna listen because you don't like it. God has specified exactly the type of music he wants in worship. And it don't matter how talented we may be with a piano or percussion instrument or anything else, that isn't what God likes. Because if that's what God likes, God would say, hey, play me a song. He didn't say that. He said, speak to one another. And so it doesn't matter how talented we are. If God doesn't want that kind of music, he ain't gonna listen. God said, sing. Spirit and truth worship. John 4, 23 and 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That is the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking those who will worship him and give him what he asks for. Those who will love him and trust him enough to give him the kind of music and everything else that he asks for. I realize I'm only focusing on one issue, but if I preach this whole thing, we ain't going to see no lights in Muskogee tonight. Why am I focusing on this one? Why am I focusing on it so much today? The religious world today is in people-pleasing mode. People-pleasing. Not God's will be done. They can pay lip service to God's will be done. But in reality, it's self-imposed worship and they're doing what they want to do in so many cases. For example, homosexuality. We know what the Bible says about that. If we don't, ask the person uh, sitting next to you because most of us know where those verses are. We know 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, for example. We know what God thinks of homosexuality. It's a done deal, right? Pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, it's black and white. It's as simple as baptism now saves you. It's not hard to figure out. And yet there are churches that are divided over, well, you know, should we do this or shouldn't we do this? It's not really, it's a it's an easy question. No. Why? Book, chapter, and verse. The world out there, in order to please people, they'll go for everything from homosexuals is okay, the, the practice of homosexuality, I should say, is okay. Female preachers, hey, if that'll please them and that'll hold them, let's go ahead and do that. Even though God said it is a commandment of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 37, it's a commandment of the Lord that this don't happen. Doesn't matter. They're pleasing people. Instrumental music, 
People will do anything in the religious circles to attract people. We had a congregation across the street, denomination, and every so often, once a year, around Halloween, their Sunday night worship service, they'd get out hay bales, they'd have face painting, this was their Sunday night worship service. Face painting, little toy train, pony rides, hay bales, I put a sign up on our marquee that said, no games, gimmicks, clowns, or cowboys. It was not well received. It does seem kind of comical now, but at any rate, we had a cowboy church in town. You all familiar with that? You know, rope and arena. People are trying to please people instead of simply pleasing God. And to claim that I'm pleasing God I'm just paying him lip service if I'm not willing to follow the pattern that was laid down. God didn't make a mistake when he put the pattern down. He said, this is what I want. Pretty simple to understand. It's black and white. Just give me what I want. It doesn't matter if we have the most beautiful buildings, the most beautiful parking lot, the most beautiful website, the most manicured lawns in any church building across the country today. You know the only thing that matters is God's will being preached. Is God's will being taught. Is God's will be involved? We don't need a building to do that. If we meet down on the banks of the river, they did that in the first century, you know. That's okay. Why do I go through all of this? Here's why. Not our will, but God's will be done. First off, I want to say that I went home this afternoon, talked to Karen, and I will tell you right up front, I don't recall a time ever feeling as if I had worshipped more deeply or intensely in a congregation on a regular basis than I have here over the last five or six weeks. The reverence for God, the thoughts that are put forth in the prayers, the songs, the humility of the men that get up and serve is wonderful. But the reason that I'm preaching so hard on this today is this. Young folks, if you're under the age of 20, in particular, our kids. Our kids throughout their lives are going to be exposed to denominational friends and neighbors telling them that we need to get with the program and get modern. They're going to be exposed to people telling them, we've got to have instruments in worship. What is the matter with you people? And what our young people need to understand is that even some of our so-called Christian colleges associated, quote-unquote, with churches of Christ, even some of the professors in those colleges are going to teach our young kids that instruments or non-instruments is just a matter of personal opinion and preference. Brethren, it's not a matter of opinion or preference. You young people, it's not a matter of, oh, we all just don't like instruments. That's not what this, what this is about. Is doing what God said. This is about doing more than paying lip service to thy will be done. It's actually doing it because we can back it up. Look, chapter and verse. Some of those of us who are gray-haired or losing our hair, we understand. But our kids, you've got to understand when you have a college professor or you have a friend or you have this denominational neighbor tell you, well, that's just a Church of Christ tradition. Brethren, that's the word of God. That's why we just sing. That's what it is. 
So how can you tell if a person is truly serious about not my will but thine be done in any area? Here's how. That person will seek and accept God's correction and repent immediately where necessary. Somebody that's truly interested in only doing God's will in any facet of their life, just wants to go to heaven, wants to be with God, they will accept God's correction and repent immediately. No excuses, no hesitation, no self-justification, no whining, no blaming, no stalling, no matter what. They see it in the Word of God and they change. And it all begins with the individual. Turn to me to Acts chapter 26. We see that here in Acts 26. You know, we've probably all heard people say, well, I grew up believing this. Well, you know what? The Apostle Paul grew up believing some stuff too. But he was slammed face to face with the reality that what he had been taught wasn't really the road he should be on, wasn't he? And look what he did. Because he was a man who truly wanted to do God's will, even though he was completely off base, as far as the New Covenant is concerned, look what happens here in Acts 26, verse 9, as he's retelling his story. He says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them, often, in every synagogue. And I compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority, and commissioned from the chief priests at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Did you ever stop and think about this? Think of the desert region he lived in. It's noontime when the sun is at its zenith. He said, I saw something far brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goat. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He goes on to say, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting Repentance. Back up with me to the actual account for just a moment, Acts 9, 17 through 22. See what part of that involved. Remember, he'd gone to Damascus to kill Christians. In Acts chapter 9, 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laid his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he rose and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now watch this. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You want to talk about a reversal. Here's a guy that went to kill people that were Christians. 
And as soon as he is converted and realizes that he's been doing the wrong thing, immediately what's the first thing he does? He goes and preaches, Jesus is the Son of God. Very first thing he does, there's a man right there who would do more than lip service to thy will, not mine be done. God's will is that none should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9. And so the first thing Paul does is goes and tells people about Jesus. Remember earlier I said no matter the cost or consequences, for the rest of his life, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, would pay an incredible price for preaching the gospel. He got run out of more towns than all of us combined. You ever been run out of town? No? <coughs> he got run out of more towns. He got chased down and went, got through, put through more trials, stoned till his enemies thought he was dead, left him for dead. He is in trouble from his own countrymen. He's in trouble from the brethren, false brethren in the church. Why? All of it for one reason. Because he preached the truth. He did God's will and did more than pay at lip service. Those who are completely committed to doing God's will instead of their own in every area of life, no matter what they have to sacrifice or surrender in order to do so, they are Christ's family. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. What did Jesus say when he was told, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. He said, who is my mother and brothers? He who does the will, thelema, of my Father in heaven. It is those whose worship is acceptable to and by God, John 4, as we've talked about. And it is those who are going to be with and worship him forever in heaven who do his will, Matthew 7, 21, as we mentioned this morning. To wrap up tonight and today, thy will be done is more than just a line that we tag on to a prayer. Thy will be done is a line that serves as a line in the sand between those who will go to heaven to be with God for eternity and some of those that only think they will. It all begins as it did with the Apostle Paul in understanding the truth about Jesus with hearing, believing, and accepting that word of correction. That was a big word of correction for Saul of Tarsus, let me tell you what. It begins with then repenting and turning back to God and deciding, I'm going to put God's will first no matter what it costs me. No matter the consequences, if I have to do this by myself, I'm going to do it God's way. It's not about what I want to do or what brings me pleasure or what I'm fond of doing. It's about doing what God wants because of all that God has done for me. Tonight, whether it's repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, or whether it's about telling somebody else the truth about Jesus and you need some help with that because it's hard to talk to people about Jesus sometimes. Or if you're somebody that's already been baptized and you're struggling to do some of those things, walk in the way you know you ought to in Christ. If any of those describe you, are you ready right now to make the statement, not my will, but thine be done, more than just a line in a prayer, but instead making it your lifeline to eternal life? 
If so, please join us at the front while we stand and while we sing.